0: taking sports to another level welcome to rich take on sports the sports podcast with life exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives here's your host richmond weaver
1: what time is it? Ten, ten, two.
2: Yes, this is Rich Take on Sports. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Back with you again and back at it with episode number 15. Now, there's so much to get into this episode as our guest in the Rich Spotlight is one of the greatest linebackers in NFL history who played for an astounding 15 years in the NFL, Mr. Takiyo Spikes. Now, just to make sure you don't miss anything, please check out our website, richtakeonsports.com. There you can find the latest episodes of our podcast. You can listen to any that you might have missed, and there you can also easily subscribe through whatever platform you prefer from there. And don't forget, you can also connect with us through social media as well from our website, Twitter, Instagram, and even Facebook. Facebook. Let's now jump to the Rich Spotlight.
0: Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight.
2: Our guest in episode 15 is Takio Spikes, a 15-year NFL veteran playing linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, and the San Diego Chargers. In high school, he was selected as Mr. Football in Georgia as a senior, leading Washington County High School in Sandersville, Georgia to the state title in 1994. Takio then attended Auburn University and helped lead the Tigers to the 1997 SEC Championship game, losing to Peyton Manning and the Tennessee Volunteers, 30-29, where he was actually named MVP of the game, even though he was on the losing side. He skipped his senior season to enter the NFL draft in 1998 and was selected in the first round by the Cincinnati Bengals as the 13th player taken overall. He eventually was a two-time Pro Bowl selection and was twice chosen All-Pro. During his 15 years in the NFL, he was team captain 13 of those years, and he became only the seventh linebacker to record over 200 starts in their career and finished his career with 219 games played, 1,423 tackles, 29 sacks, 19 interceptions and he even scored three touchdowns. He eventually returned to Auburn and received his degree in liberal arts and continues education by earning an executive MBA from the University of Miami. He's been an analyst for the NFL and college football and a radio host of Sirius XM NFL and was recently inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame. Now, just recently, he authored a book titled Behind the Mask, the Linebacker Edition, going inside the mind of 12 NFL Hall of Fame caliber players with unique and intimate images, where Takeo was also able to show his love of photography by personally taking the photos included in the book. And this book provides stories and never-before-published content from these 12 individuals, such as Mike Singletary, Derek Brooks, Harry Carson, Kevin Green, London Fletcher, Cornelius Bennett, and others. This book exemplifies the theme of Rich Take on Sports, where there are stories to be told. The impact of sports is much more significant than we give it credit for. And Takeo does a fantastic job exploring what those stories are with these 12 individuals and hearing it directly from them. And during our time together, I asked Akio, what was harder, playing 15 years in the NFL or writing this book?
1: I would probably say writing the book and not to say that 15 years was easy. But the hard part about writing the book is, you know, once you have writer's block, it's a wrap, (laughs) you know. So for me in football, it was, all right, if I can't do it physically, let me take a step back mentally and figure out how can I get around it. And there's no getting around it with when you start to write. And so that was the hardest part for me. And I want to give a big shout out to my co-author, Michael Jordan, here in Atlanta. The other Michael Jordan, not the Michael Jordan, but he's my Michael Jordan. Uh, He really helped me out a lot because throughout this time when I was creating this book, I was going back to school to get my executive MBA from the University of Miami. And so I leaned on him you know, to help me kind of finish the stories and, and put it all together. So uh, it, it was a great project, and I really look forward to doing volume two.
2: So what was the motivation behind writing the book and putting it together?
1: Well, when I tore my Achilles back in 2006, 2005, I wanted to uh, really share my story. Because at that time, when you tear your Achilles, that was a death sentence in the, in the NFL, And nobody ever came back at the time. The only person who I knew that came back was Dan Marino and played extended years after that. But he didn't count because he was a quarterback. And I knew it was going to be harder for me because of my position. A lot of things that I have to do is not necessarily premeditated. So uh, when I came back, I felt like, you know what? I really need to share this story because a lot of people wrote me off. And I was at the pinnacle of my career at the time. and so. I, I always knew that I loved photography and I felt like I could share my story through my photography. But the more I started thinking about it, I was like, you know what? How can I make it more interesting? And so I know everybody has a story, especially guys who are prominent. And so I went and got my Hall of Fame comrades and I was they were gracious enough to give me a day out of their lives really to sit down and interview them and, and to find out, How did they become great? What made them an outlier? I wanted to find out their defining moment of how did they become great.
2: What did you find as far as a common theme after interviewing all these great linebackers in terms of why they were an
1: outlier? You know, it it, it wasn't up until maybe the eighth interview that I completed to where I really started to see some alignment. And that alignment really just came into focus. That alignment came into... Sacrifice, and more importantly, that alignment really shown where it came through, and it showed up as willpower. All of these guys just took time to really sit back and evaluate their circumstances, even when they didn't realize it. A few didn't realize it, and they said, "I'm going to do something that I've never done before." And they locked in. They had to focus. They made a sacrifice by deciding not to hang out with certain friends. They made that sacrifice by the saying, in order for me to to achieve something that I never have achieved, I have to do something that I've never done before. And that is exactly what made these guys different, you know, on top of the fact that the good man gave them athletic ability. And so, you know, when you tie all of that together, that's the reason why. And, you know, and I tell a lot of people, several people this all the time, is not, you know, we as athletes, we as entertainers, celebrities, like, yeah, you are blessed with athletic ability or God gave you something, a gift, but the true power is how you use it. And all of these men, they dug down deep and made that sacrifice, made that commitment to greatness to achieve or attain something that they never had before.
2: You fall right into that same category, Takiyo. So it started somewhere. So let's hit the rewind button and go all the way back to your childhood, growing up in Sandersville, Georgia, and what drew you to sports and how you became involved in sports?
1: I have two older brothers. My brother, who was closest to me, he was very, he was the guy who was competitive. He liked to play sports. And everything that he did, I wanted to do. I was younger. Of course, I was smaller. And whenever I wanted to go play basketball, because I was smaller, You know, it was always, okay, you got to get next in. Well, you have to get next. And this one particular time we didn't have enough people or we had more than enough people to play basketball and other guys were complaining about, well, let's play football so we can get more people on at the same time. And, you know, for me, one of my defining moments growing up as a youngster was just playing football in the street. And if you get out of of bounds was (laughs) the sidewalk. And so I remember catching the pass in the street, tiptoeing, emulating what I saw on TV on that Sunday from the NFL, and just the gratification that when the guys saw that, they turned around and said, "Takio, man, he really can play football." And for me, that little comment really just kind of kickstarted everything off for me.
2: And what was your favorite sport growing up?
1: Well, I loved to. I used to love to play basketball, but football, and the reason why football was it gave me an opportunity to take my frustrations, my anger out on guys. And I realized that was the only time that I can really hit somebody and not get in trouble for it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so what were those frustrations then?
1: You know, one guy thinks he's better than me or a guy who likes to run his mouth all the time, but I wanted to to see how much heart he had. And so for me, it was like, all right, if you want to keep talking, I'm going to see how much you love this game. And so it gave me an opportunity to be that heat-seeking missile to really check and see what a man is made of. And so that that was that was my motivation.
2: Were you playing organized sports in middle school and high school, or did you just focus on football?
1: I've always played in basketball camps, organized football from the little recreational leagues at an early age, and uh, and I love running track. You know, I, I didn't start out running track, but. By the time I got to high school, I started running track and it really that really helped separate me from a lot of other guys as far as top end speed. Because when people looked at me, you know, you see a guy six foot, six, one, two hundred pounds, I'm ripped up, but they think uh oh, he can't run because he's too big. And you know, and I remember vividly being in track meets and gaining everybody's respect, even the guys who I raced against, because they didn't know. And so, you know, for me, that was all that was a little, that was part of the recipe that was going into the pot, into the makings of now all-pro, author, photographer, T.K.O. Spikes.
2: Now, did you have a different mindset running track versus playing football? Because one's obviously a team sport, and while track can be recorded as a team event, you are yeah. competing individually. So, was your mindset different?
1: Well, yeah, the mindset was different, and it was different because I never looked at it as pressure. Yeah, I was nervous, had a little anxiety, but at the end of the day, it was really no pressure at all because I felt like they don't even expect for me to even compete. And so when I knew when I took that track, it gave me an opportunity to go out and and, uh, really just open eyes. I wanted people, after they saw me perform or after they saw me run, I wanted them coming back into the school at the beginning of next week saying, damn bikes. I didn't know you were that fast. And so for me, that was that was my deal. And then it turned into, okay, at track makes I used to run the, the first leg of the four by one. And it was like, how many guys, you know, I had three other fast guys, but my thing was how many guys, they told me, don't lose just don't lose where you are. And I knew that was easy, but it turned into a competitive thing of how many guys can I eat up? It was like Pac-Man and they were the power pellet. And so it was like, how many guys can I gain ground on? And so that was the competitive edge that I took and the mentality I had in track.
2: So now what about in football? What was the mindset in football?
1: It was destroy or be destroyed. And... Going back with my high school coach, we he, he came in at the time, so thankful for him, Rick Tomlin, he brought the resources in. everybody wanted to go to school, but nobody had a blueprint or any idea of how to get there from playing high school football. He brought in the exposure, he brought in the knowledge. And bringing in the knowledge, the exposure, and then just hope. He gave all of us hope. And so from that, my mindset turned into, okay, I I see he's for real. So how can I make sure I end up doing my part of the bargain? Every day I was looking for more, more ways to make me a better player. And I spent numerous hours uh, with him, even with his position coaches. I remember uh, guys just popping my mind. Coach K, Coach Lee, Coach Usher, Sammy Williams. All of these guys had a very integral part into creating the Takeo Spikes brand at a young age.
2: Was there a defining moment in high school where you realized or the coaches realized Tekeo Spikes has a chance to be a dominant football player and play at the next level?
1: They always saw the, the potential and the ability when I, when they got there. I was in the 10th grade. But I remember this particular play. I was playing offense, tight end, and we had a upper class in the, ahead of me. And he understood, well, my coach always felt like, well, he's the big dog and, you know, he was the prototypical size. And whenever he called the passing play, he always wanted him to be in there to catch the ball. But this particular time, he went out of the game and I was still in. And then when they called the passing play, I remember being in the huddle and I looked at the huddle like, okay, is somebody coming to get me? And, you know, before he realized that he was on the sideline going nuts, Demetro, where are you? You're supposed to be in there. So I was like, sweet. Only thing in my mind, I was thinking, you can't drop it because if you do, you are never going to get this chance again. And so we ran a bootleg play. I was playing tight end. I came across the middle, caught the ball for maybe like a 30-yard game. And after that, it really convinced. didn't convince me. I knew I could do it. But it really convinced the rest of the coaches that, man, maybe he could be a two-way threat.
2: Okay, and then so did you become a two-way threat for the rest of your time in high school?
1: I did. I I ended up, to be honest, I could have went to college playing tight end. My senior year, my last year in high school, I want to say I had 41 catches. 19 of them were for touchdowns. 800 yards receiving. So uh, it, it was I dominated, you know, from that point. But I, it was fun. You know, it, it, it was fun. Because, like if I got the ball, uh, I can go up and, and, and make magic happen and, and dominate guys and instill fear into guys who were scared to tackle me. And also uh, just show people that I was a very good athlete to where I could play both sides of the ball.
2: So now you're starting to get recruited, obviously. What was that recruiting process like knowing that, hey, this is my ticket to college?
1: The process was fun. I was recruited damn near by every school in the nation. And, you know, for me, I wanted to play major collegiate football in a great conference. I went on several visits, Florida State, Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, and I committed to Florida State. And I think the reason why I didn't go is because the same guy who played on my high school team, who I looked up to, he went to Florida State the previous year. And so for me, it was how do I make a name for myself? That was one. And then two, the opportunity that Auburn really had, it was, I mean, it it was a no-brainer. I felt good about the school. It reminded me a lot of how I grew up, just a small town feel. Everybody has love for each other. And so that was real, real good. And so for me, going through that process, uh, it was fun because everybody was trying to out-top the next school as far as saying how great you are or how great you're going to be. And so for me, I really had to take a step back and really look at it from the long-term longevity. You know, where do I want my legacy to be? I was smart enough to know at a young age that, you know, just being a senior in high school, trying to evaluate evaluate where I want to go. It was all about how can I set myself up to go into the NFL? Who do they have now? And what's the buzz? And, you know, when I looked at Auburn, it was, they went 11-0, 9-1-1. And when you talk about Auburn football, nobody really could give you a household name on the defense side of the ball. It was all about offense, even though they played great defense. And so I felt like I'm the guy that they're waiting on. And I'm going to be the guy.
2: And now you make that transition, you get to Auburn. What was the difference that you immediately saw from high school football to now top level SEC football?
1: The speed of the game. The speed of the game was, it was like, whoa, all of these guys can move. And then it was, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. That That's Ultimately, that's what was the biggest shock to me coming in as a freshman. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I've always thought, that I knew I was a good player, but I think me being humble as I, as I am, I never knew how great of a player I was because I never wanted to sit back and rest on my laurels. I never wanted to sit back and, and rest on, okay, I had a good day yesterday, so that means today is going to be good. It was, I'd, I had a good day. Now I need to find out how can I get two days ahead better mentally so my physical levels can show up. Because I, in the back of my mind, even when I lay down to rest, I felt like I always heard footsteps coming behind me. And I never wanted to be the guy that got caught because I was sleeping.
2: So do you feel that that kept you motivated, that almost fear of getting caught?
1: Yeah, that kept me motivated. And I never wanted to be that one and done or he's a bust So it was important for me to not only come in and gain the respect of my peers, uh, but I wanted to come in and show people that I'm legit. I'm here to stay.
2: And when did it become a reality for you in terms of, I'm going to play at the next level, the NFL? I'll
1: be honest with you. As a youngster, I love, love, love pro football. I never took the time to sit down and watch an entire game of college football. That's how infatuated I was with the game of the NFL. Like, I just loved it. And, um, you know, for me, when people ask, how was it playing in the NFL? I tell them it was a childhood dream that came true because that's something that I always wanted to do. It was something that I always aspired to be. And I can truly say I, I lived that dream. I lived it.
2: Now, who did you look up to growing up? You know, the players that you wanted to be like in the NFL?
1: But when I was a youngster playing in the recreational leagues, you know, the guy who really jumped out to me was Walter Payton. Uh, I was intrigued with how he ran the football. He played, even though he was a running back, he played the game with a defensive mentality. And I loved it. And I remember seeing videos of NFL films. This was back in the 80s now. of This guy running the hills in Mississippi, uh, how he trained so hard. And, you know, for me, it was like, man, if that's what I gotta do, that's what I gotta do. And so I put the blinders on and let everything else take care of itself. Another guy who I looked up to was Mike Singletary. I love Bruce Smith, uh, Cornelius Bennett, Lawrence Taylor, all of the great linebackers I I really loved because I felt like these guys, they were leaders, one, but two, they directly influenced the game with their play. You know, they were a guy they were guys that Before you snap the ball, when the quarterback comes up to the line of scrimmage, you have to identify where they are. And once I figured that out, I made up in my mind to be that guy that they will have to identify.
2: And what about a particular team, or did you have a few teams that you liked growing up?
1: I loved the Buffalo Bills just because they were on TV all the time. Uh, Other teams, Chicago Bears, love the Bears. I mean, everybody fell in love with the Bears, especially after they had a remarkable season in eighty five and did the Super Bowl shuffle. That was real cool. Uh the Giants, you know, everybody, you know, if you're not from New York, a lot of people want to claim like they're from New York. So, you know, it's this personalities on the Giants team that I really respected. You know, it was it, it was huge. It was huge and it was great for the for the game of football.
2: So now walk us through the decision of deciding to leave Auburn early to enter into the NFL draft. Why did you do that?
1: It was several reasons. I had no intentions my junior year to leave school early. Not at all. But as I started going throughout the season, and you see publications saying, hey, this guy really could be a first-round pick. And for me, it was like, okay, I hear what they're saying, but I don't see that, nor do I feel it. So I continued to play week eight. Of an 11-week season in college football, you still see publications. And then we think it was week 10, we played Georgia. And when we played Georgia, I think they were ranked a four in the nation at the time. Came off of a big win against uh, Florida. First time them beating Florida in years. And when they beat them, it set the stage for us to come in ESPN night game. And the running back at that time was Robert Edwards. He was a childhood friend. We grew up with each other. And guy who I looked up to, who really, I thought, started the the recruiting process in Washington County, Sandersville. And to make a long story short, when we played against them, I wanted, it was in Athens, I wanted everybody to know, because they were mad at me for going to Auburn. But I wanted to come into their stadium, and I wanted to dominate. I didn't care how I did it. I was going to run through several people and just dominate the game. And I did that. And when I walked away from that game and we beat them in a big time game, us upset them. That's when I felt like I really took it to another level mentally. And I really think I could play this game. And so we finished out the year, went to, uh, we beat Alabama the next week. Then we went to the SEC championship. We played Tennessee, Peyton Manning and That game, I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was going to be tough for us, but I probably had, even though we lost the game by one point, that was probably my best overall game that I played in as a college linebacker. And I remember having double-digit tackles, several quarterback hits, tackle for loss, uh, two calls, fumbles, both picked up for touchdowns. Like, it was, hey, I was an animal out there, bro.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and in fact, you were named MVP of that game.
1: And how crazy is that? You lose the game, you're named MVP. And after that game, it was like, I really think I could play in the NFL. But then we came back and played in the Peach Bowl. And after playing in the Peach Bowl, uh, I had a very good game, had an interception to seal the game to make, to ensure that we won the game. And after that, I knew I was out because I knew that was Damien's Craig last year. And for me, as much as you, you know, you want to think that you control everything as an individual player. Playing football, you don't. And if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have nothing. And I knew Damian Craig was leaving and I knew it was going to be just a, a, how can I outdo? You know, what is it left for me to do in college football? You know, I know that I wanted to win the buckets, but at the end of the day, I realized that was my first dose of politics. You know, I felt like I was better than all of the guys and I never got that award because our team didn't win enough games or we wasn't in the, the national spotlight. You know, I don't know. All the other guys who I really thought they were, I mean, I thought they were good players, but they were not to Keo, you know, and so and that's why I took my talents to the next level.
2: So was that some of the continuing motivation for you to prove people wrong again now that you get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals?
1: Yeah, it was, I knew when I went in to the Cincinnati Bengals, It's all about the culture. And I knew the culture there had been suffering. And what was more important to me is understanding, looking at all the first round picks at that time, maybe out of a 10 year time period, only two first round picks that they drafted panned out. And I knew at that moment, I need to be number three. I couldn't go in and become susceptible to the culture or how it was created. I couldn't go in and, and let the bad vibes or the bad habits sneak into my game, nor my life. And so it was hard. That's where I think that I was mentally molded to become so strong at that point because we lost so many games. And so I did not want to be known as a guy who would come in and lay it down. And so that's where I just, I did everything I possibly could to prove people wrong, not necessarily by going out talking about it, but from performance wise, I was consistent in what I did all the time. And I think that's what really helped me solidify myself as one of the greatest Bengals of all time.
2: After your rookie year, you become a team captain and actually – 13 years out of your 15-year playing career in the NFL, you were named a team captain. So obviously you have some leadership characteristics and qualities that are somewhat uncommon to be able to walk into different scenarios and immediately be viewed as a leader. So what type of leader are you? Are you more of a vocal guy or by action that you just mentioned?
1: I'm more of an action guy. And if I feel like it's not being done, if I need to address you, then I will. Uh, one of the one of my traits that I took I take pride in is being able to communicate with guys who I'm working with, regardless of in any field. And you know, I would make sure I go out and do my job more than anything. But I would talk to guys and say, "Look, we need more out of you. If you don't give me what we need, we're not going to win. And if we don't win, then everybody's going to be looking at you sideways, including me." And so I wasn't afraid to have those conversations. That's the reason why I think a lot of guys respected me because I never went out into the media. If I had a problem with somebody, I never would go to the media and say, you know what, he's not playing, he's not doing that. I always felt like that was that was chomp change, man. That's low-hanging fruit. Why would you do that? You know, nobody respects that. Maybe that person don't even, he doesn't know. And so for me, I took pride in taking time and say, hey, I need for you to pick your game up right now. And then if they continue to play at a bad level and didn't put in the time that I thought they needed to throughout the week, because we see each other every day, then I would go to a bigger level and say, and call that person out, not necessarily to the media, but I would call them out in front of our teammates. And nobody, every, nobody wants to be disrespected in front of their peers. But I didn't see it as disrespect. It was the fact that you didn't respect us enough. So if you don't respect us, then I got to make sure that you understand that. And so that's how my leadership kind of rolls is by action first. And then is I'm going to talk to you. If you do not respond, then everybody else is going to know. I need to do whatever I need to do to get your attention.
2: Now, where did you develop those type of leadership qualities or where did you learn those?
1: Uh, From my mother, my father, you know, is I love him to death love them, love them, love them. Because how I grew up, as much as we want to make this world black and white as far as decisions and saying, okay, well, let's be on a certain side of the fence. In my mind, I thought that's how life was because in my household, it was either you do this or you don't, you know, and (laughs) it wasn't too much negotiation. It was, if you want it, this is what you got to do. If you don't want it, don't do it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to call you out about it and I will ride you. And, you know, once that accountability was set, but more importantly, my follow through really came from just seeing my parents operate in and out throughout their day. My mother, she was a school teacher for 32 years. Uh, My father worked in a chalk mine here in, in middle Georgia. When you look at it overall, I really really looked up to them because ultimately kids only remember maybe 60 to 80 percent of what you say, but kids, oh, they're going to remember 100 percent of the things that you do and that they see. And so they, get, they left me a perfect example of what grind means. They left me a perfect example of what it means to take your talents to the next level and not be denied. You know, and so for me, that was all of that really kind of formulated how I think and who I am.
2: When you're playing in Cincinnati, your, your father passes away and you dedicate the rest of the season and ultimately the rest of your career to him. So what type of relationship did you have with your dad and just the impact of your dad in your life? Can you describe that?
1: He was a man's man. He was a pro's pro. If he said that he was going to do it, he was going to do it. Um, the thing that I remember about him most is even though he was dealt several cards that wasn't favorable, he will address it, but he never would just crutch or use it as an excuse. You know, he he took pride into, I right, I don't like it. This is how I'm gonna change it. Boom, I'm finished with it, let's go. And then he was just, you know, he was focused. I remember several times and during Christmas, I was thinking he was coming home to be able to bring me a (laughs) go-kart. You know, that was one of my Christmas lists. And it was on my Christmas list. And I remember seeing him get off work at 7 in the morning. And I'm thinking, I pull off the go-kart off the back of the truck. And he walks into the house. And I'm just looking like, I, right, what's up on this this go-kart? And he was like, Merry Christmas, son. And I was like, Daddy, where's the go-kart? He was like, well, let me tell you this. You see the lights on in the house? I was like, yes. You see the TV on? Yes, sir. You see the games you like to play? Yes, sir. Well, if you like those, the reason why I wasn't able to open gifts with you guys last night at midnight for Christmas is because I had to work to provide these things. Now, if I go out and get you a go-kart, then you're not going to have games. You're not going to have the lights on in the house. And it's a lot of other things if you want me to keep going. And so from that point, I understood priorities (laughs) just from that simple lesson. I hated it, but I understood it.
2: Obviously, that's very impactful, learning a lot f- from your father, and you continue playing in Cincinnati. But you ultimately decide to leave Cincinnati. What was the thought process of not re-signing with Cincinnati?
1: I wanted to go to the next level. I wanted to have an opportunity to win, to make sure my legacy is, uh, is really like a staple. I wanted to become that household name regardless of whatever. I wanted to be a champion, so that's the reason why I left and went to Buffalo uh, for my next four years. Do you have any
2: regrets from leaving Cincinnati?
1: No, I, I don't have any regrets because I made it clear that, you know, Marvin Lewis came in as the head coach and I told Marvin, I was like, Marvin, I know you're a great coach, but I don't think that Mike Brown would give you enough control to be able to change the coach, And so that was the decision that I had to make. It was the best decision for me. And so that's the reason why I left. Uh, obviously he's done a great job. He's back on the hot seat, if that's what a lot of people want to call it. But he's a great coach.
2: Then from Buffalo, you spent some time with the Eagles, a short period of time, then the 49ers, and then the Chargers out on the West Coast. So where do you feel that you enjoyed your career the most?
1: Well, it's different. I I really enjoyed playing in Buffalo because I understood the fans would take their last piece of money to come out to be entertained by us. I felt like if you could do that, then I want your experience to be lovely so you can come back and support us. And so um, I appreciated that because it had a high school feel when you played in Buffalo. I liked playing in Philly even though it was a one short time year but it was fast. It was like a fart in the wind, man. It went by so fast. Now, the best city that I played in, I would probably say San Francisco because it gave me so much more diversity, different ethnic groups, and it it really opened your eyes up to the West Coast. The West Coast is totally different than the East Coast and the South. And so, you know, I, I embraced that. I enjoyed it, made great relationships, and I enjoyed playing out there with so much history that comes from that franchise. Great times there. And then you know San Diego, well San Diego. Everybody knows what they're going to get in San Diego. Great weather, not too hot, not going to get really cold. It's always going to be even keel. Uh, The thing that I really hate, I really wish, just from the West Coast side, that we could have won more games in San Francisco because I know how the city can be when they have winners out there on the football field.
2: And does it still haunt you that you weren't able to play in a playoff game in the NFL?
1: No, I wouldn't say it haunts me. I mean, I look at it, there's nothing I can do about it now, so I'm not about to kill myself over it or even think about it. But, I mean, it's definitely a wish. I definitely wish I could have played in one. uh, But, you know, I look back at it overall, I have to take out, well, what did you do good to ease the pain? I think it's pretty damn awesome to know that for me not to even play in a playoff game, to be nominated captain 13 out of my 15 years, then to become a household name in football, in every household, people know tequila Spikes, and I did it the hard way. 16 games, going through 2 and 14 seasons, going through 6 to 10 seasons, going through 4 or 12 seasons, and I never quit. I never, ever quit, and I never, ever let that bad culture get inside of my DNA. That's what I'm most proud of.
2: Were there times, though, that you were struggling with the thought of, I've worked hard, I'm done?
1: No, I never had a time like that. The only time I really had like that, but my last year in uh, San Diego, uh, after I left San Diego, going into heading for my 16th season, I had two offers on the table, one from Jacksonville and one from St. Louis. And I, at that time, I asked, I said to sit back because I don't think it's anybody who loves football more than I do. And I knew at the time, I was like, I can't do anything. Like, there's nothing else for me to do, especially with these teams, because they're not going to win. Why? Because they didn't have a quarterback. You know, St. Louis always had respectable defenses, but if you don't have a quarterback, then it's, and that's been the story of my career. Uh, I didn't play with the quarterback, really, until the latter part of my years, you know, with Phillip Rivers. So, you know, looking at that overall, that's when it was like, versus me going in there, tearing up my body, knowing that it was already hurting. I just said that I'll wait. I'll wait and, you know, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but hopefully somebody will call me throughout the year, right before the playoffs, and I have an opportunity to go. That was my thought process.
2: Was there one day that you woke up and you realized, all right, my playing day's over?
1: It was, it was that year I was looking at the playoffs, and San Francisco, they played Seattle, and they, I think it was Navarro Bowman went down with a knee injury. And I knew if they would have won that game, they would have called. I even talked to the GM after that, and he was like, I didn't bring it up. He brought it up to me. But once they lost that game, I knew then it was over. I knew at that time I played my last NFL game.
2: And how did that feel for you?
1: You know, it was, it sucked. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like, I gambled, but I tried to make a strategic gamble as much as I could. But I did not want to go back through playing the game just to play the game because financially I was okay. I'm still okay. And I just I just knew like it, mentally I was burned out from trying to take a team who have young great players but if you don't have that quarterback then it's all for nothing.
2: So speaking of quarterback that's obviously a, a theme. Who were some of the top quarterbacks that you feared the most in the NFL?
1: Uh Brett Favre, John Elway, Tom Brady, um uh, Peyton Manning. All of these guys they You know, what made them so tough to play against is that if they kept it close and if it comes down to a last-minute drive, it's a strong chance that the percentages weigh heavily on their side just because they're able to understand and think and be able to lead their team. That's what I appreciate about those guys more than anything.
2: And was there a quarterback that you had a, a sack against but surprised that, how in the world did that guy get up? I just hit him hard.
1: Tom Brady is tough like that. You know, just just resilient guy. Uh, Brett Favre, though. It was several times I've seen Brett Favre like been wiped out, but he gets right back up. I remember times I've even hit him, you know, and he just still keeps on ticking. And so, you know, overall, I would probably say Brett Favre is like the guy.
2: What was a better feeling for you? A sack or an interception?
1: Interception. No doubt about it.
2: And why is that?
1: It, because, you, you know, it's, with the sack, okay, boom, you get the sack. Everybody's looking at you for the so But with the interception, everybody is still doing the same thing. But you take a possession away from the other from the opposing team, and now you have an opportunity to be artistic with that thing and see how good that you can run it back, <laughs> or you know you can you can add more momentum to it. And so that's the reason why I like interceptions. Anytime you get an opportunity to get a turnover. You got to get it because you never do know when they may come at you again.
2: All right. In the other aspect of your NFL playing career, you also made it a point to go back and get your undergraduate degree. And as you mentioned, ultimately, you got your master's. So describe why was it so important for you to continue that education path?
1: Well, I think Warren Buffett said it best. The more you learn, the more you earn. And I was infatuated so with my lifestyle, and I never wanted my lifestyle to end, even though you say, but uh, for me, it's about leaving a, a lasting legacy. I have a daughter 14 years old, so who am I to tell her what to do when I've never done it? <laughs> you know, So it was a no-brainer for me to go back to school and, and just to you show know, The more that you learn, the more that you really can earn and affect your lifestyle. And so that's the reason why I went back, and then also my mother, too, my mother, she's always she's always harped on me going back. But, you know, when the time was right, I, I eventually just went back.
2: And so now what are the the next plans for you? I know you mentioned volume two of Behind the Mask book, but what's that, what else is on the horizon for you?
1: Yeah, I really want to continue to develop the Behind the Mask brand. Uh, I'm looking at uh, starting on volume two at the top of next year. I'm not sure what position I'm probably going to open it up to Twitter and see what they want, see what the fans want. That's number one. But then two is just understanding uh, the content that I have is so good. So I've been approached about doing several documentaries on myself, which also will entail behind the mask too. So I'm looking at, well, I'm entertaining the thought on that. I'm just trying to get everything together, but I still want to. I just really want to develop this behind the mask brand, and uh, continuing covering the game of football that I loved as a kid.
2: As we're wrapping up, Takiyo, if you can put it in words, what sports has meant to you, and the life lessons that you're carrying on in your next career? Can you describe the impact of sports in your life?
1: It's been amazing, and I encourage any parent to make sure they have their kid in any sporting event, anything, because what it teaches you is discipline. It teaches you respect. It teaches you accountability, especially a lot of, when you deal with single parents, I think they should be the ones, they should be the first ones putting their kids in these team activities like this because so much of everything that you teach in a household, they're going to get in sports. And the accountability factor, understanding that even if they are a single kid, you know, you have to learn to depend on somebody to help you. And if you can do that coming from different hoods, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, if you can drop your ego and work with somebody in that type of manner, man, the world is the world is your toy. You can do a whole lot of things, especially if you jumble that in with education. And so that's the reason why I love the game of sports, because it provided me with so many things that I didn't think it would. And it provided me with so many things that I knew it would provide, you know. So uh, I truly encourage people to have your kid in in some type of sporting activity to where they can really see what it means to have a teammate. Or in the business world, it translates over to, hey, he's one of my colleagues. He's one of my, my team members who's helping me fulfill this project.
2: Now, what are some other words of wisdom that you would like to share? I ask all the guests just any type of phrase, quote, or just advice that has meant a lot to you in your life.
1: I think one question that I leave everybody with, so many I have, but I would say one thing is if you are what you have and what you have gets taken away, then who are you? To me, I think that symbolizes everything as far as looking at my life, that's what I've been grinding for because I never put as much as it looks like it. I never put all of my eggs into one basketball football, but I understood that football is something I did to use as a platform to get other things that I wanted in life. And I understood if that was taken away from me, I'm, I'm okay. I'm still Takiyo because I was taught the principles of the game and learning how to interact with people and learning how to work with people. And so, you know, for me, my challenge is or my advice to anybody is you can't never let anybody tell you what you're going to be, what you are and what you can be. Ultimately it's all up to you. The most important conversation you can have with anybody is yourself. And when you learn how to be honest with yourself, that's when life will start to open up for you.
2: Thank you for sharing that, Takio, Excellent words there and uh, words of wisdom, I should say. Takio, I can't thank you enough for your time. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, it's been enlightening getting to understand a little bit more of your story, and I'm uh, excited that you're continuing with Behind the Mask book and that that campaign. And, and again, thank you so much for your time.
1: Hey, I appreciate it. And people can find the book, at BehindTheMaskBook.com. And I'm going to say this, and I know a lot of people may not like to hear me say it, but war damn Eagle, brother.
2: Now, after that interview, I think it's evident his name perfectly describes him. See, Takio was named after Japan's 41st Prime Minister, Takio Miki, after his mom and dad saw a news report about the Prime Minister and eventually learned that the name Takio means a warrior, and once they heard that, they knew immediately that that was the perfect name for their son. He was their little warrior, and you know, you don't play 15 years in NFL if you're not a warrior, especially at linebacker. The average career in the NFL is three years. Takeo played a remarkable 15 years. Five times the average. That's just absolutely insane. Again, especially at that type of a position where you're taking a pounding every single game. And that's why his first volume of Behind the Mask book is the linebacker edition. He wanted to make sure and honor those first. And share their stories. And I'm definitely looking forward to future volumes. And in some ways, you know, it's a written and visual version of this podcast. It's an opportunity for these personalities who Takio defines as outliers to share their story so you can see that even though they are outliers, they still go through life just like we do. And I'm hoping to do the same thing with this podcast. So it meant a lot that Takeo would spend time with us and share his story. And now don't forget, you can find his book at BehindTheMaskBook.com. Now time to finish up this episode with the weekly Words of Wisdom.
0: Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom.
2: This week, our words of wisdom come from best-selling author and chief spiritual officer of the Ken Blanchard Companies, and that is, of course, Dr. Ken Blanchard himself. He's written several management books, such as Lead with Love, Leading at a Higher Level, and The One Minute Manager. And in his quote, he says... There's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. And I think it's evident that all of those individuals that Takeo Spikes outlines in his book, Behind the Mask, are those type of individuals who are committed and have been committed to something just like Takeo has been committed. Committed to his playing days, committed to getting his education, committed to his photography and writing books and sharing stories, and that's what I'm doing as well. I'm committed to the podcast and just sharing these stories of individuals, and I greatly appreciate everybody's feedback and listening, and I look forward to more episodes in the future. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone.
0: You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Richtakesports. Thanks for listening.